Hey guys, welcome back. So to pick up where I left off, I was on I was finally on my mom and dad's insurance, so I was able to seek my second opinion at MD Anderson. This was November of 2017, November 1st. Um and I had already completed two rounds at Texas Oncology. The chemo regimen I was on was ifosfamide and mesna. That first one always trips me up. Um, the ifosfamide was actually the chemo. A mes the mesna was a kidney protectant, but I'll just, you know, I wrap it up in the chemo regimen that I was on that they decided was best for me. So I completed two rounds inpatient, which means I was in the hospital the whole time. So... When we called MD Anderson, they're like, yes, you can come, we take your insurance, but we like plan a trip, like a three-day trip, because we're going to redo all your tests again. I was like, okay, so redo CT, redo the MRI, redo all my blood work, a lot of paperwork. It was just a lot of intake forms. So we planned our trip. Um, it was around like I'm almost positive it was Thanksgiving week. So it was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday was Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm, man, I am pretty positive, but I could be wrong about that. It may have been the week before, something in that range, though. So we went to MD Anderson, and MD Anderson is unique in the fact that it's solely a cancer hospital. So the hospital that I was getting my chemo at, it's just a regular hospital. They have an ER, they do, you know, they're given babies are being born there, you know, the whole gamut. MD Anderson, only cancer. If you're at MD Anderson, you are a cancer patient. There's no in between. So maybe it was just the people I interacted with, or I don't quite know, but like nobody seemed like caring. Like it wasn't like a comfy environment. It was very like, I don't know, kind of cold atmosphere there. It was a complete 180 from what I was used to at Texas Oncology. I was hoping that would change when I met my doctors, but it just got worse. So I met with my doctor and she said, like, and what's great about MD Anderson is they have a like specific sarcoma center area. So like, it's like dedicated sarcomas because sarcomas, right, um, are very rare. And within the sarcoma community, there's like 50 subtypes. So I was meeting with a doctor who only focused on synovial sarcoma. That was her like bread and butter. So I'm talking like to the best of the best who, you know, special, you know, specializes in the one thing that I have. Um, and she made that very clear to me, but almost in a very like arrogant type of way. Like she was the end all be all of any treatment regarding synovial sarcoma. And as a doctor, it's really hard not to have that kind of complex about yourself. My, my Texas oncology doctor doesn't have that, but she did. And it really rubbed me the wrong way. So when I met with her, I was really hoping that I would just get confirmation that like, yep, you're doing the right thing. Sounds awesome type of thing. No, it was a complete, I was completely blindsided. She started talking about radiation, about a limb saving surgery, uh, and all of this stuff, adding a new chemo. And I was like, what is going on right now? Um, shortly thereafter, I met with the orthopedic surgeon and he actually agreed with my orthopedic surgeon saying, yeah, amputation is probably the best option. We could try to save your foot, but it doesn't seem very good that you'd be able to use it type of thing. So, and I was completely comfortable with the amputation that when I was at Texas oncology, trying, trying to save my leg was not even on the, the cards for me. I think that was just a better way to approach it in my situation. So I don't know. She, I don't know how we got to this point, 
but she somehow convinced me to add the new chemo and I think I was somewhat comfortable adding it because at that point I had joined a bunch of sarcoma groups on Facebook and the um, chemo she wanted to put me on, the adriamycin, was a very common one that a lot of people had taken. It's a very common regimen within sarcoma. So I felt somewhat comfortable. It really is like, you know, the heavy hitter when it comes to chemos. It's one of the more powerful ones. So I, I, I guess I was kind of on board for it. Like if I'm going to go all in on chemo, let's just get, you know, the, the biggest, baddest one we can get. So I was like, okay, fine. And then somehow she convinced me that I had to do that that third round there because she was adding a new chemo I wanted to monitor me I want to put monitor in quotes um but some extra bonus fun is that she told me like I specifically said okay well I have to be inpatient because I've been inpatient for the past two chemo she's like oh no we can't make you inpatient because one we don't have enough beds and two I basic she basically said I have to make a case for you to be inpatient like you can't just like opt to do it I was like okay so um, I didn't talk about this in my last podcast, but I had a port place with a, just a catheter that they uh, attached to the biggest vein, which happens to be by your heart. And the one that Texas Oncology uh, placed to me was one that was underneath the skin. The one that um, MD Anderson had to place in me was a catheter, same type of thing on the other side of my chest, but it had the actual tubes hanging out because if you're doing outpatient chemo, you need um, it like an outside catheter and not an inside catheter. So I had to have two catheters placed to me so I couldn't sleep on either side of my body, which mm, was not a fun experience. And the outside catheters had to be flushed every single night. I had two that I had to flush. And I hate the taste of saline more than anything. Like every time I have my scans, I, I do CT with the um, contrast it brings back so many horrific memories <laughs> when they flush my IV. I hate it. So um, I do know for a fact that I had the outside catheter placed the day before Thanksgiving. So that was uh, my, one of my Thanksgiving uh, things that I was thankful for, another catheter in me. Um, so I had that placed, and then the week after, I did my third round of chemo at MD Anderson outpatient. And that was by far easily no questions asked the worst round of chemo i had um that new chemo really took um effect on me so god it was just a disaster so we had to stay at a hotel um luckily um keenan's dad had like a bunch of hotel points set up so we didn't actually have to pay for it so i was very thankful for that uh, but we still had to stay at a hotel and like when you're in chemo, like this may be just the way that my body handles it or whatever, but it wasn't like, okay, like I have my chemo with me and I don't have to be in the hospital, but I'm not like partying or like having a great time, right? Like I'm still like, I don't want to do anything. Like I'd rather just stay in the hospital. Like I'm not going to be doing anything extra if I can walk around. And honestly, I didn't want to walk around. Um, and just to give you some context, inpatient chemo and outpatient chemo are relatively similar. So um, I would go to MD Anderson for four hours. They would push the chemo. Well, I had two chemos at this point now. I had my iphosphamide and I also had the adriamycin. And then they would give me a backpack with the mesna and then I would leave and I would come back. They'd push the chemo, switch out my mesna bag and I would do that all week. 
So um, this particular chemo, the adriamycin, really kicked my butt. So by Tuesday evening, I had stopped eating and drinking at this point. I just did not feel like it. And I was still like, I had to, you know, go from the hotel room. I Then I had to go to the car. And then once I got to MD Anderson, from the car, go all, uh, MD Anderson is a huge hospital. Up the, like, it was just a lot of, like, walking. Um, it doesn't seem that taxing, but when you just haven't eaten and are having chemo pushed in you, it's a lot. Um, so on Wednesday, my mom and husband did a switch because at this point, my mom had already been off for three days from work. So my husband left, um, his work when he was done because he had Thursday and Friday off at, at this time and they did a switch. Unfortunately, um, after like an hour after my mom had gone, I started to feel really, really bad really bad headache, really, really nauseous, not feeling good. And my phobia of getting sick did not help the situation. So I ended up dry heaving. Nothing came out because there's literally nothing in my system, not a drip of water, uh, which I think I'm thankful for now. Um, but that set me into like a full blown panic attack. Um, I was like, I want to go to the ER. Like, I don't know. It's like, I'm not doing well. This is the first like really bad reaction I've had during chemo. And I didn't know if it was going to stop or it was going to get worse. So I was like, I don't know. And I want to point out the fact that my oncologist at MD Anderson said that I should stay in Houston to do the third round um, so she could monitor me during this new chemo. I didn't see that lady once. I wasn't called once. Um, I felt forgotten. And to contrast that with my Texas oncology experience, my oncologist visited me every single day I was in the hospital throughout my whole um, out, uh, inpatient treatment. So the, the care I got at Texas oncology just far superior than MD Anderson. So we end up, Keenan and I end up driving to MD Anderson, um, end up going to the ER. Uh, there's like a 45 minute wait before we can even get back there. They call us back there and put on like one of those beds, like one of the, you know, the beds with the wheels. And then it's another hour where I'm literally sitting in the hallway because there are no available ER rooms. Like it was a disaster. Um, I just, I just couldn't, was not in a good space. So they finally get us into a room. Um, they pushed me with some fluids, which I think help. And they also, they either gave me morphine or Valium, but it calmed me down, which is what I needed at that point because I was not doing okay. Um, but, and they ended up, I think what kind of scared them was I kept on saying a headache. So I ended up actually getting some sort of like brain scan. I don't know if it was like a CT or something. Obviously my brain was fine. I was just beyond dehydrated. Um, and they discharged me. Uh, everything was fine. Obviously just had like, I needed to eat or drink or something. Um, but as we were leaving, the receptionist lady was like, okay, that'll be $300. And I was like, what? And like, I don't even, it was one of two situations. One, we didn't have the money or two, our credit cards weren't being accepted. I think it was the latter, but like we couldn't pay for it. And the lady more or less said, okay, like we'll bill you later but like pretty much don't come back unless you know you have the $300. Like we're not going to treat you type of thing. Like they, she said they want to put like a mark on my record. I was like, lovely. This is how we treat cancer patients. Like imagine if I had like almost died back there, right? Which could easily happen. Luckily that wasn't my case, but what kind of way to exit the hospital than saying, 
if you can't afford it, don't come back. Lovely. Um, whatever. So, uh, Friday we got to leave. I get, I finally got back on a regular eating and drinking schedule and I just had a sigh of relief thinking, okay, I never have to do that again because that was horrible. I want to go back to Texas Oncology, back home, be inpatient. Like I need all those things. So she, my oncologist at MD Anderson said, why don't you do this third round here? Like we can work with your oncologist in Austin and we can, you know, continue treatment that way. I was like, perfect. So my next appointment with her was the day before my amputation. And she was always kind of sketchy about when we had planned it. So my team in Austin was like, okay, we're going to do three rounds of chemo, then do the amputation and then do the the additional three rounds. And I was okay with that. Um, When I met with her again, um, I think she realized money was walking out the door. And I don't, she could be the nicest person, but just the way that she came across made me feel like I was just money in her eyes, like not really caring about my actual health. And that was a huge turnoff. So I went there and I was like, yeah, I'm having my amputation tomorrow. Like I want to continue treatment, but you know, in Austin, like we had discussed and she was like, just, she seemed blindsided. She was like, you're having your amputation tomorrow. Are you sure you want that? I was like, yeah, I'm sure. She's like, well, I want to talk to your doctor. So she ends up calling my oncologist in Austin. He's in the room with somebody. Like she ends up getting his nurse and she was like, I need to speak to him now. I was like, okay, whatever. So she ends up talking to him. They have, I don't want to say a heated conversation, but they're going back and forth. Like she is really kind of undermining, you know, his expertise as well. Just because you, you know, specialize in synovial sarcoma, that doesn't negate the fact that he's been also been doing sarcomas for 20 years as well. So hold on a second. Um, and it got so bad, like a, she started a wave that, um, when I went into surgery the next day for my amputation, my orthopedic surgeon comes in. He was like, I didn't think we were going to see you today. I was like, don't worry about it. You won't have to worry about her anymore because I'm done, but we'll get to that in a second. So I was like, no, I feel comfortable doing it now. Like I, you know, I spoke with your orthopedic surgeon amputation was the way she was like, no, we have to do like all six rounds before you do your amputation. And she also wanted to do, uh, like she said, the first two rounds don't count because they didn't have the new chemo. So like that third round would actually be my first round. So I would have five more after that, which sounded horrific. Um, but I was like, you know, I just feel more comfortable there. Like that's my home. You know, I have family there. Like I get to be inpatient. She's like, Oh, you want to be inpatient? I can make you inpatient. I was like, wow, that was a a quick change of heart because before you made it seem like impossible to be inpatient. I was like, I went to the ER, I wasn't checked on, and I was going through all these things. And she was like changing her tune to everything. She's like, oh yeah, just weird. But what really kind of drew the, the line in the sand was she was like, I can't in good faith let you go back. Um, she was like, in more or less words, she was like, if you go back and continue treatment in Austin, you will die. Like, I want to cure you. And she made this statement saying that like, um, the amounts of chemo that she wanted to give me was not something that anyone else could do anywhere else. Um, which is not true. Um, according to my oncologist and what's, I, I don't know why. I believe my oncologist more than I believe her because she said some very wacky things to me, but he said that he has worked with her in the past and has had patients and he has no problem pushing whatever 
amount she, you know, decides are appropriate for that matter. Um, it's not like they have special chemos or special equipment. Like, it's the same chemos, just in different places, you know. So it wasn't like anything was, like, better at MD Anderson. So I don't know where she, why she was on a high horse like that. But too many weird things, like, all of her her tone changed. I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to continue my treatment there. And we left on just awkward terms, I guess. Um, so that was my experience at MD Anderson. Um, not for me, um, at least in comparison to Texas Oncology. I prefer that much better. Um, but the next day, I had my amputation. No problems there, but I'll have a separate podcast talking about that. So I'll just kind of gloss over that for the moment. Had my amputation, and then I had to wait a couple weeks to, you know, recover from surgery. Then I had to do an additional three rounds of chemo. So the last sort of, like, uh, stab that MD Anderson gave me was that the new chemo that they placed in my regimen had to be completed in a full cycle, which is four or six rounds. So if I were to stick on my original regimen, I would, I would only have to have done one more round after chemo. Instead, I did three with the new um, chemo drug I had, which was, mm. um, But like I said, that chemo really kind of got to me. I kind of went into the same um, progression, like by Wednesday, I'd stopped eating and drinking and stuff like that. But at least I was in the hospital. I was being monitored, being pushed with fluids. um, And my doctor found a really good uh, regimen to really help with the nausea and to kind of basically I ended up like the way I got through my last three rounds was sleeping through it. Like the more I could be more or less unconscious, the better. Um, those days really dragged on because in a good way or a bad way, sort of like the, um, I can't think of a better word to use, but like the excitement of cancer sort of weared off for most family and friends at that point. So pretty much the only people visiting me were my mom and my husband. So I just had a lot of visitors. Like I was just really trying to push through because those days just really dragged on and like, you could only do like so many computer games or, you know, watch so much TV or, you know, I just want it to be done. So I pretty much try to sleep through my last three rounds. Um, but I finished my three rounds and then I don't know if it was shortly after or three months after, I feel like it was three months after I had another CT scan and everything was good to go. So I guess I was in remission and I don't quite, so I like to consider like my last round of chemo, my no evidence of disease date. Um, but technically according to my oncologist, when I had my amputation is when they declared me no evidence of disease. So there's like a three month discrepancy. Um, but the plan was that after my chemo treatment was over for the next two years, I would do three month scans at the two year mark. I would be pushed to six month scans. And then at the five year mark, it'd be once a year. And then the longer you go, pretty much. Um, I know one synovial sarcoma survivor who's been a survivor for like 20 plus years. And at this point, she only goes when something like fishy is going on. So she doesn't really even have an oncologist she sees, which what a great blessing that is. Um, so I ended up. Uh, first two years was dandy, fine. So um, at the end of 2019, uh, I got pushed to a six-month scan. So my first scan of 2020 was in June. And that's where things sort of uh, get interesting again. A little, a little more spice back in my life. Um, 
the scans before that, the first two years, um, they always mentioned nodules in my lungs. There was always three and they were like three millimeters and four millimeters. And almost every adult has a lung nodule, but my oncologist was explaining to me that these three and four millimeter nodules probably wouldn't even ping on a regular person's CT scan. But because I have a history of cancer, they have to put any inkling of anything on there. But he was like, nodules are super, super common. Like, don't freak out. And they stayed exactly the same. So I really had no, you know, no room to say anything. I was like, okay, like, I trust you. Like, sounds good to me. You say I'm good. I feel good. Let's, you know, keep on rolling. So in June of 2020, that's when we see the first movement from four to seven millimeters and it was only on one nodule so his plan of action was to do a scan at two months sort of you know move it up because that six month span did not I don't know something happened in that six months I don't know what it was um so so that was in June so I had one in August it stayed the same I had one in October it stayed the same now this is where it gets a little bit hairy and I, I wish I could explain to you what exactly happened but I don't know so in December I thought it was the same um, in February when I had February 2021 um, I didn't actually get to meet with my oncologist I met with a nurse practitioner and that whole appointment was strange because she didn't even have my results yet so i had to like get on myself and like i remember reading the report and i saw no significant change like nothing in the report so from june up until my last scan in may of 2021 i had seven millimeters in my mind there was no other number in my head but seven millimeters so when i came to my appointment in may my oncologist threw the curveball at me saying, oh yeah, it's still the 12 millimeters. I was like, the what millimeters? I, I, I was thrown off. He was like, yeah, you know, like since December, it stayed the same. And I was like, since December, now we're at 12, so it's grown again. And to kind of rewind a bit, um, when we were at that seven millimeter mark, it's sort of an awkward stage of a nodule because it's too small to do surgery. And it was also too small to have a PET scan on. So we were actually waiting to get to the one centimeter mark, which is 10 millimeters um, or 12 millimeters. Sorry, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. And so when he said, yep, it's the same. We looked at the other uh, three. So we looked at December's, we looked at February's and we looked at, you know, May's. And it, it did look also the same to me. But I was like, when did this change happen? I don't remember this. Like I keep up with my stuff a lot. We have like long conversations when I go to my oncology appointments I ask a bunch of questions so I think this particular scan really kind of blindsided me and really kind of got to me because I wasn't expecting it like usually I know what to expect going into these but this one really threw me off so at this point in my cancer treatment I'm left I'm left at an impasse so what I've decided at this point is I have another two-month scan in July and then I also asked my oncologist to um, send a referral to the surgeon who would do my lung surgery if I want it done. Because I want to talk, like obviously my oncologist, he has other patients who have had this surgery done before. So he ex kind of explained it. But I want to hear it kind of from the surgeon's point of view. I want to see what the surgeon thinks about my, my scan, like how he, you know, if he feels like he could take it out or find it, blah, blah, blah type of thing. And then... 
I've been thinking more about it and I'm going to ask my oncologist when I see him in July about maybe doing a PET scan to seeing if that will kind of pop up anything. I kind of hope it doesn't show anything. That'd be fantastic. Um, but that's also been on my mind as well. Uh, now that it's a little bit bigger, which I don't like. Um, but that's sort of my plan at the moment. And one part like of the cancer journey that is sort of, everyone knows about it. It's this bittersweet community where like you have so many beautiful stories and so much positivity but on the flip side of that coin you get the exact opposite death dread despair <laughs> like there's just two sides to that coin and you can't dwell on the other side of that coin because it gets very scary very quickly and i follow a lot of people who have sarcomas because i just it's a bond like I think even as caregivers, like you could like relate to my story, but I think only someone who's gone through the cancer experience can really get, like you just have that common bond, like that you really can't get anywhere else, you know? Um, so I follow a lot of people and there's been people in the past couple months that have passed and I'm like, oh my God, like it's very scary. And they all kind of start in the, you know, the lungs, like their lungs start filling up with the fluid and, you know, it just like you know, deteriorate so quickly, you know, that's only what they show, you know, show on social media. So I can't imagine what goes on behind the scenes. And it's just, it's frightening to say the least. Um, cause it does bring up a lot of like the first thought when I got diagnosed was I won't see my daughter, you know, get to one years old. Now these thoughts come up like, man, I really hope I can see my daughter make it to kindergarten. Like it's hard not to have those particular thoughts. So, um, but like, obviously the point of the scans is to stay ahead of this and we can tackle it and you know get to it before it becomes out of control so i i'm taking all the correct steps like i'm literally doing everything in my power at this point um but it's still scary and it's like just kind of like there's nothing you can really do about it it's sort of like this passive thing where you can just monitor it and stay on top of it but it's like out of your control which it, it just is what it is i guess but that's sort of my cancer journey um, to date as of now. Obviously, if I keep on with this podcast, I will update as needed. But that has been my story. Um, and I hope you enjoyed. Um, I'll definitely have a whole podcast about my amputation and my physical therapy journey and how I got my running blade, all that fun stuff. Uh, but until next time. <laughs>